some of our young people are on a holiday away, so that's why we, uh, some of our young adults are a little bit light on this morning. Um, and also, now is the time for kids' uh, church, would that be right? We do have kids' church? Yep. So thank you, children and leaders. This morning we look at a, at a hot topic, the role of women in church from 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 9 to 15 and this is part 4 in our series in 1 Timothy. I will remind you that the last week we studied the first eight verses of this chapter, chapter 2, and we look a little bit closer at, uh, we, we spoke about prayer and what it involves. And there are many reasons for us to pray. We are to pray for those who govern our land so that we may live peaceful lives. While we can, that is. We are to pray for the lost who God wants to reach with the power of the gospel. All the more because our Father has made provision through the Son's perfect sacrifice the only mediator between God and man. And this morning we approach one of the the major battlefields in Scripture. It has to do with the role of women within the church and how are we to apply and interpret and, and, and live by the Word of God, particularly in passages which are very conflicting with our current culture. Over the years, there have been many articles and books and interpretations and conferences and and ideas of what what to do with this controversial subject. Many debates have been indeed generated over this practical section of God's Word. And let's let's remember that the pastoral epistles are very practical in their nature. So let's what we need to do this morning is allow God to speak to us through his word. And I know we we come to a passage like this with many filters. Remember, we spoke about the doctrinal filters that we sometimes apply. So it could be the filter through your theological understanding. It could be the the filters through through culture, the way that you've been brought up, and even your your own upbringing might speak to this. So let's let's try and remove that and see what God is actually saying to us. The problem then is not so much understanding what the passage is is saying, certainly not the first few verses, but accepting what it says and applying what it says today. So first of all, let's look at at appearance in verses 9 to 10. I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. There is enough Greek and and, and Jewish and, and Roman historical evidence from the time which confirms that the way that women dressed displayed their moral disposition. 
The big attraction in the city of Ephesus where this letter was directed to, the, the, the great attraction in Ephesus was the temple of Artemis or Diana for the, for the Romans, which was, this temple was one of the, the seven wonders of the ancient world. Sailors from all around would come to the temple so they could spend time with the temple prostitutes. This, they came out at night and the way that they dressed, that these temple prostitutes dressed, influenced the way that normal women who weren't prostitutes, wives and girls and everybody else, they were influenced. In the same way that our fashion is influenced by Hollywood or Victoria's Secret or whatever it is. So your dress signal morality or immorality. And I'm not just saying this from the biblical group. These are the, the secular writers. This is what they wrote. This is what they tell us. Also, it wasn't just the way, what they dressed that they wore, but also their hairdo and all the sparkles and the bling that was worn. That also sent a message. So how women dressed in public was an issue that the apostle wanted to address. And when Paul urges the women to dress modestly, he means that they are to be free from shame and indiscretion. Let's be honest. Many modern fashions today are designed to attract the attention to the body with less and less left to the imagination. And there is indeed a lot less fabric being used these days. So, if a woman comes to church with her hair done, done up in the, in the, in the latest fashion, wearing the latest flashy clothes, jewellery, it would appear that she is not, drawing, uh, not trying to get attention from God in worship, because this is the context of worship, what we're talking about here but getting the attention of the opposite sex. But not just the opposite sex, because a lot of the other women also, they actually pay more attention to what so-and-so is wearing. Oh, look, did you see what she wore? And the, the husband was saying, no, I didn't actually. Oh, I should have. No, you don't want me. Anyway, let's not go. You notice, you make sure that the latest Gucci brand gives it away because you wear your brand on the outside just to say everybody knows what you are wearing and if they didn't then you make sure you put it on on social media so that everybody notices in the end something that is outside superficial reveals something that is inside the condition of the heart which is what Jesus spoke about and this is what, exactly what the Apostle is concerned about. And, and don't worry about the arguments that say, well, Paul didn't understand Ephesus. He spent three years there. He knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew the culture. He lived there. He spent a lot of time. So this, this is how, in the New Living Translation, this is how they, these verses are, are translated. And I want women to be modest in their appearance. 
They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. And yes, the Apostle Paul is is mainly addressing the way you dress within the context of worship. But if you put this verse with 1 Peter that we're going to look at, it goes beyond just the church but also the workplace and, and society at large. Please understand that he is not prohibiting a woman from looking the best, attractive. In fact, in, in African cultures and in, in many other cultures, Sunday is when you, you dress your very best, full of colour, full of joy. That's the way you go to church. As long as it is not seductive or showy, you're not showing off. On the other hand, some women have taken this word of Paul so literally that they have gone to the other extreme. In other words, they're actually drawing attention to themselves, wanting to be known as spiritual women by the way, by the dress that they wear. You know, basically going from Gucci to a sack of potatoes, you know. Well, that's, that's not really what, that's not really applying what the Apostle is saying here. Because, you see, it would be easy being a Christian if all you had to do to be considered one, to be considered holy, to be considered godly is to dress the part. That would be easy. Maybe this is what happens with monks and nuns, right? You can spot them a mile away. But it is far more important here that they adorn themselves with good deeds, with their life. The word to adorn is actually a play on words where we get our term for for cosmetics. That's where the word adorn comes from. In other words, rather than worrying too much about how you appear and look, give more time to what you do. Instead of spending an inordinate amount of time in front of the mirror and social media, spend it serving others. Do what God has called you to do, pleasing the Father. Listen to a similar passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold, jewellery and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. In other words, it's not just Paul saying this, it's Peter as well. It's a consistent message from God. So Paul is saying that that a woman should carry herself with a a sense of honour and self-respect in life and that that's the, the inner self and her sense of clothing should reinforce that rather than give another message. Anything smacking of ostentation in the dress of the woman 
is to be avoided. Her spiritual impact in a congregation will arise out of her life of service and good deeds, her humility. That's what she'll be known for. This is what earns her respect and influence among the people in the congregation. So if some people today have have problems with what the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter are saying here with regards to appearance and fashion and hairstyles and bling and all of that, you're really going to struggle with the following verses that come. Strap yourself in. The issue of submission, verses 11 to 14. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. This is what is known as the we're coming head on with what is known as the battle of the sexes within church. There are two main doctrinal positions here that push you in one direction or another. And these are the views that Christians, by and large, have attached themselves to. One position is called the egalitarian view, the egalitarian view would say that men and women are equal. There is no difference at all. There is no God-ordained order in gender and therefore men and women have identical roles in both church and home and society. The other position is usually called the complementarian view. Complementarian view would say that, yes, there is a God-ordained order in gender and therefore men and women have different but complementary roles in the church and the home and society. As you probably know by now, I am very much a resident in the complementarian camp where all the conservative dinosaurs like me live a happy and enjoyable life. Why? Because as I read my Bible, I believe that's what it teaches. And yes, I have read quite a bit on this. But the main text for me, the main textbook is the Scriptures. When it comes to the, the roles of men and women... The Bible is clear that both male and female reflect the image of God. Genesis 1:27. We go back all the way to creation. In Christ, men and women are equal. That's what. There is neither male nor female. Galatians 3:28. Men are not superior over women, nor women over men, when it comes to value, when it comes to intellectual ability. In fact, the opposite could actually be true when it comes to male and females. There are are physical differences when it comes to anatomy, muscle tone, bone density, all that stuff. 
But, but something really significant happened at the fall which affected how we relate to one another. We go back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. And this is God's word to, to Eve as a result of the rebellion, a result of the fall. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The, the most basic understanding, and we looked at these verses in our series in Genesis and we looked at it last year in our series in Ephesians. The most basic understanding of this verse is that woman and man would now have an ongoing conflict as a result of the rebellion against God. Their relationship from that point on would include, would involve a power struggle. And the word desire here is not desire the way that we normally understand it as in affection. I don't have to explain it. The, the New Living Translation makes it more evident and it says you will desire to control your husband but he will rule over you. What God originally designed as a mutually interdependent relationship was now a desire for one spouse to control the other. This is where all the, on the one hand, the woman over man and on the other hand, the man abusing the wife, the violence in the home. This is where it starts. This is exactly where it begins. The battle of the sexes began when sin entered the world. And this is, where is the largest battlefield today? In the home. All divorces and all the violence, all the separation and all the... And that's the family where what's supposed to be the, the... the, the pillar of a society where you, you're bringing up children that are you're forming into adults, training them to be adults, to be living a life, fulfilment. A lot of the damage actually starts in the home. And that's exactly the way that Satan wanted to happen. So in his letter to the Ephesians... Paul, after instructing all Christians to be subject to one another, and he talks a lot about submission in, in Ephesians, right? Chapter 5. Paul stipulates that in marriage, wives must be subject to their husbands because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. And husbands must love their wives just as Christ sacrificially loved the church. And that's an impossible task. To love the way that Christ loved the church, that's, it's a big challenge to husbands. So let's, let's try and, uh, and understand Paul's instruction here. 
It says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. So, so the words here, Paul's words here, are, are significant because he, he directs women to learn. To learn. So we, we, we jumped over this word, to learn. We just got into the whole quietness and thing. And No, first of all, let's take it in order. To learn. In the Jewish culture, the women were able to go to school to listen to the Torah, but they were not allowed to learn. Why would they want to learn? Was the thought, right? Paul doesn't want them to teach, but to learn, as long as their attitude is marked by two qualities, quietness and submissiveness. The word quietness here should be interpreted as as a, a stillness or attentiveness rather than a literal silence. It is actually related to, to, to the, the word that we looked at last week in verse 2, which spoke about living peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That's why we should pray for our leaders, so that we can live peaceful lives. So that, that's the word being used here. And why is Paul saying this to the, to the Ephesians? Because the, the rebellion, the, the, the breakdown in society was already starting in the home. Today, we're a lot closer to Ephesus than we are to Jerusalem in that context. So the Apostle Paul will be writing to us exactly the same thing that he wrote to them. And he doesn't, he doesn't appeal to the culture of the day because if he appealed to the culture of the day, he was saying, guys, just take it easy, all right? Let everybody do this whole same thing. Now he appeals to creation, the order of creation. So who should the woman be in submission to here in 1 Timothy? We know who the woman was to be in submission to in, in Ephesians. But here in Timothy, who is, he, who is a woman to be in submission to? Well, the context indicates submission to the men who are in leadership position in, in authority within the church. It's not talking about the home yet, it's talking about the church context in worship. Again, this submission has nothing to do with a woman's value or ability, but rather with the God-ordained roles within the church, and if you put it together with Ephesians, within the home. And this divinely intended order goes all the way back to creation. And it is in Christian marriage where the the husband willingly submits to Christ and the wife willingly submits to the husband. So there is, there is the, the hierarchy. The headship of the husband in no way implies the inferiority of the wife. And, and it is actually, actually this submission to headship which is so resisted 
even in Christian circles today. And if this submission to headship is challenged in the marriage, it will be carried on and challenged in the church as well. Whatever happens in the home, it will be brought to the church. So let me give you some more reasons to, to consider. To consider why we have to accept what the Word of God is telling us. Firstly, in the New Testament, there are no women apostles or elders. When Jesus, when Jesus chose his disciples, they were all men. Despite the fact that many women were supporting the ministry, there were, there were many able women around. And neither Paul nor any of the apostles ever chose a woman to be an elder of the churches that they founded. They could have easily have done so. There were many capable women. But none was ever put in the office of elder. The office of elder is limited to qualified men, as we will look at in chapter 3. In church, by appealing to creation and the fall. I'm repeating a point that I've made earlier on, but it is an important point. It's a crucial point. This means that we can't simply dismiss it as a cultural matter that doesn't apply to our day, that Paul was addressing that issue then, but we don't have that issue today. In fact, our issue today is actually worse than I think what the Apostle Paul was facing then. Unless, of course, you believe that all of Genesis is mythology, that yes, we, we, you know, you believe that it's all about evolution and that we are, we're all some scum that evolved and, and all of this. So there is no distinction between male and female. It's just an accident in the universe. That's why we are here. There is no purpose. There is no meaning. But if we look at, the, at God's manual, if we have been created in God's image, that our lives have meaning, we have purpose, then we have to come to God's word and say, no, this is true. And yet many evangelicals, even within my own denomination, claim today that this instruction is not binding to us 2,000 years later. Again, Paul appeals to creation, not cultural factors to support his instruction. We should do the same. Let's follow what the scriptures say, not culture. Why? Because culture is constantly changing. The word of God is the same yesterday, today and forever, like its author, our God. Thirdly, in the fall, the God-ordained roles were reversed. Paul isn't implying that Adam was less guilty than Eve with what he's saying, nor is he putting all the blame on Eve. Both were just as guilty. To the Romans, when he wrote his letter to the Romans, he said, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. 
Nor is Paul saying here that women are more prone to temptation than men. We all are easily deceived by sin and false doctrine, which was a problem church in Timothy, to, to Timothy in the church in Ephesus. What Paul is, saying, is getting at is that in the fall, the God-ordained roles were messed up. Adam should have taken the leadership. He should have taken the initiative. He was created first. When God presented it to him, she was to be his helper, equal to him in every way, but he was the leader. He didn't take the leadership. She was led and influenced by his wife. He was led and influenced by his wife. She was influenced by, the, by Satan, by the snake, who was tempted first. He should have said no. He went along with it, as you know the story. I encourage many in our marriage today, in our homes, to take the initiative, to take the leadership. If you don't, someone will fill the vacuum. Fulfill your God-intended role within the home and instruct your family, your children to do the same. Don't reverse the roles that God gave man and woman all the way back in creation. Fourthly, Paul's direction for women teaching men is for the context of the church. There there is nothing here about women teaching men at, at high school or at university or the workplace or rocket science or whatever. So, does this mean that a godly woman can never teach men in church? What about a woman teaching through writing books? Is that not teaching? What about Priscilla and Aquila who taught Apollos? Uh, The verse in, in Acts chapter 18 verse 26. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more Adequately. They were both. Otherwise, Luke would have just said one of them, right? And, and there have been many, numerous, incredible women missionaries down through church history. They have evangelized. They have planted churches and taught whole cultures of men and women. Yes, we need to accept this biblical principle, but we should not turn it into law, is what I'm getting at. 
It is an, inc- an, an increasing reality that in our churches there are more women than men who attend. It's a reality. You go to any churches in the country or whatever, you will find a lot more women and very few men. In such cases, are we to, to close down the church because of a lack of male leadership? What are we going to do? In Paraguay, uh, where I was born, when, uh, when my dad left that particular ministry and he moved to another ministry, to another church, 300, 400 kilometers away, my aunts, who were brought up in a godly home, they took the leadership of the church. They instructed, they, they kept Sunday school, they kept the morning services going until they found a pastor to take their place. They were godly, capable women. Also now stories of missionary ladies who, who were sent by the Brazilian Baptist missions and planted churches in Paraguay in tough environments. They discipled men and women and established the church. And then when the time was right, they handed over the leadership to men who they had trained for the task. In our church, this church, we have had women speak and challenge us but they have done so under the authority of the elders and pastor. So we need to be careful not to put God in our doctrinal boxes, for he does as he pleases. The the many exceptional women in scripture and in Christian history are enough examples of this. I, I have heard stories of of men teaching in, in colleges, won't give any names, and if there were student women attending, not here in Australia but overseas, then they refused to give the lecture because those women could be trained as pastors and could teach in churches. That's not for you to decide. They could be teaching in any environment. Leave it for God. They need to learn. This is what the Bible is saying. They need to learn. How will they pass on God's teaching if they haven't learned? The last thing you want them to stand up here and blabber whatever rubbish that comes out of their mouth. Now they need to learn. And it is important, therefore, that Passages like this are are an important principle. But we don't want to restrict God how he does things. The the norm should be men in leadership and teaching positions in the church. Now for the last, if that hasn't been enough controversy, then let me clear the air a little bit with the most difficult verse in the whole of the scriptures. Okay? Just to make things easy. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15 but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety what 
what do you do with that? And it is indeed probably one of the most or indeed the most difficult passage to understand and there have been many possible interpretations suggested. I'm just going to give you one and you can look up after the other hundred, okay? Part of the problem is this word saved. Is it physical or is it spiritual salvation? We need to remember that not all women marry and have children. Indeed, many women have not been able to conceive even after trying. So if this verse means that women are promised to be, you know, as long as they have kids they will be safe, well, that, that can't be true. If this verse it means that women are promised to be saved through the process of labour and childbirth, this hasn't always been fulfilled. How many women have died in labour and childbirth? So I don't think that this verse means, means that. An acceptable answer is, I think, and this is just one from the myriad of possible interpretations, okay? That women will be saved spiritually by persevering and accepting their most important calling, which is first and foremost in the home. That we accept that the home is, is the, the place where God calls us first. This is our first and most important duty. So Paul mentions childbearing to tie in with the earlier reference to the fall. In, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is the, what is called the Proto-Evangelion, where through childbearing, who was childbearing? The incarnation, Jesus was born of a woman. Look it up. And therefore he's, he could be indicating that, but I think this increased issue of the... the, the the increased pain in, in childbirth, despite sin's curse, women who hope in God's salvation will submit to their role in their home. As long as their lives show the fruit of saving faith, submission to God's order, and by taking their role as godly mothers, as being of first and foremost importance. Don't believe what society is telling you. That your career comes first. You heard that one? No. Your home comes first. This doesn't mean that women earn salvation by doing good deeds and being a good mother and bearing children and being what it may, washing the dishes, pregnant in the kitchen. I, I don't think that's what it means. What it means is that the fact that they will be godly mothers, their godliness starts in the home because they are obedient to what God has 
gifted them and instructed them to do, and I will do that. Some final words. In the home, there should be no war between the sexes. Women are to submit to their husbands as they submit to Christ. Children are to be viewed not as a hindrance but as one of God's greatest blessings. And the responsibility of shaping their character through godly example in the home is more important than your successes or otherwise in the world outside because the whole of the fabric of society depends on it. In the church, there should be no war between the sexes in the church. Men should esteem and affirm godly women in their ministries. Women should respect and submit to godly elders in their leadership. Elders, as we will see, are not to lord it over the flock, but are to be the prime examples of godliness. Just words straight out of the scriptures. So if you have a problem with what I said this morning, take it up with the boss, okay? The complaints department. Pretty long one. But read the Bible. Read what it says. Accept what God is telling us. Don't submit to the spirit of the age, the culture. It can lead you in so many different directions. Submit to God first and foremost. And then the other submissions won't be as difficult if you submit to God first. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we have come to your word,